the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat. Kaseya Ransomware Attack and Incident Response with Ransomware Kill Switch. Today, we welcome back AirGap CEO, Ritesh Agrawal, and Hinio Ochoa, CISO of the Cyber Warrior Network, connecting cyber pros to cyber roles using CyberWraith, the first cyber gaming universe that leads to real-world jobs. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasotornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With the Zero Trust Isolation Platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to the Ransomware Battleground. My name is Sia, and today we welcome back Ritesh Agarwal, the CEO and founder of AirGap, as well as Hino Ochoa, the CISO of the Cyber Warrior Network. Welcome back, gentlemen. Glad to be back. Glad to be back, yeah. Are you really glad to be back, guys? Because I feel like uh, with these wonderful hackers and uh, ransomware attacks, I guess it's like the gift that keeps on giving. So you guys are forced to come back and chat with me, huh? Oh, we'd love to do that. Um, I, I, you are right. These hackers are just keep they keep coming back and keep uh, they're keeping really really busy uh, for themselves and for us as well. Uh, right, right. So, okay, this one, uh, this topic today is near and dear to my heart as a small business owner. I've always kind of felt, to some degree, a little bit isolated from the world of ransomware and attacks, just because it seems to me there's a trend toward big game hunting, right? And uh, let's talk about why I should be afraid. This Kaseya attack that's recently happened. Um, it feels like this was an attack on the SMBs to make sure that you know anything and everything in the cloud, everyone has to protect themselves in some degree. So Ritesh, I, I know you have to be seeing this uh, over with AirGap and your clients. What is your take initially on this Kaseya attack? Is it as horrible uh, as as it sounds like to me? It's worse than what it sounds like, to be honest with you, Sia. And I don't mean to be the fear monger kind of person, but I tell you what Kaseya proved to all of us is that, first of all, it's very easy to mass infect um, the companies out there, the businesses out there. And your topic about small business versus large veils, I think one of the other things about ransomware is it does not discriminate. They'll go and impact anybody and everybody they can, and they're gonna ask for ransom. And this is the general modus operandi for all of the attackers. And what they have figured out now through supply chain attacks, like we have seen in the past with solar winds that impacted larger corporations, now with Kaseya that they have started to impact everybody's household name these days. What we are witnessing is just a widespread distribution of this thing. Today it's Kaseya, yesterday it was uh, solar winds. Who knows tomorrow it's gonna to be your Canon printer or, or your uh, Alexa, Amazon Alexa at home, Echo device at home. Everything is susceptible to potential attack uh, through supply chain compromise. And uh, we'll see more of it. This is not the end of it for sure. Well, Hinio, I mean, You've got this in your, you know, back pocket and background. I mean, is it really, is this hype? 
No, I think we've seen not only the attack on on small business hitting, um, but they're actually looking. I mean, at one point you are right; they're looking for that big money, but um, they're also looking for quickness, right? You have to build up infrastructure. You have to things like SolarWind, MSPs, all these big these big companies. Um, it makes the the things like incident response even harder. Um, most people, when they go and look for, oh, how they get in, they look for things like web shells, right? Look for that malware drop or that fish. No one until recently goes, maybe it was our vendor, you know? Um, and so I think that now, uh, I mean, they got cat teams, they got incident response teams on every continent that just rush to you and help fix it. So I think the malware guys are just going to get, elevate their game and say, well, fine, we'll just, we'll hack the guys who aren't so secure. I, so okay, but we, I, I'm being told over and over again. You do, you before in the past, I, I was told you don't necessarily need to put all your critical, you know, data on off-prem. You would, should have it on-prem. Should always keep it protected on your own network, so you know that it, there's if you're going to get compromised, it's going to be the the, the non-so critical infrastructure, if you will. Right. So, is there a way? to look at these use cases and say, yeah, no, we're never going to do this again, or are we just 100% dependent and have to be in the cloud no matter what? Um, because these types of applications like Kaseya make it seem so easy to do business in the cloud, keeps our, you know, over our operating costs lower. Is, is this a changer in the way we conduct business or is, you know, to go back to the old way? Well, if I'm if I'm being 100% honest, I'll have to I would have to agree with you that it does seem like that's the trend. Um, and I think in our uh, industry, especially trends are kind of where tech goes, right? Oh, look, here's this new cool thing. Let's move to the cloud. When you look at a organization's purchasing power, their people they have to pay to come and work for them, all this stuff. It makes sense, right? Who wants an IT department whose whole goal is just keeping your Windows systems up or patching your Linux systems or doing that? It, it, it's easier. I just give it to the cloud and now, hey, I don't have to worry. Um, from an incident response situation, you're looking at whose risk is it, right? If I'm paying all this money for my employees to be the best at what they do, whether that's programming, podcasting, whatever, then I, I don't want to have to hire extra people to take care of them. Uh, the risk is now on the MSP. They get hacked oh, it's not my fault, nothing we could do, right? Um, and so I think the definition of critical infrastructure is what's changed. Um, there are still some industries such as hospitals, um, you know, police stations, fire departments, where that's just not an option. That's not a risk they can take. Um, and if you include offsite of malware, just a down box, right? If your service is down and you can't access it and it wasn't attacked, it was just down for maintenance or down from an error, what are you going to do? You know, um, and, and I think we see that, too, with that recent news that uh, the government walked away from Microsoft to a Microsoft and Amazon section. Right. A lot of thought gets put into these things like, no, we can't go a week or two weeks or even a couple days or hours without Internet. Or core infrastructure. So this makes absolute sense to me is that multi-layer type approach. Right. So and I've always been anti single vendor uh, personally when it comes to maintaining an enterprise network. So Ritesh, talk to me about, you know, look at looking at ransomware detection and the software and the hardware that's out there. It sounds like to me, not one solution is going to be the perfect route. So can you help me understand how something like the air gap kill switch, for example, can work in conjunction with other solutions? Uh, you asked me the favorite questions here. So uh, that's why I like to come back to you and talk to you all the time. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, 
Now, first thing first, I think you mentioned ransomware detection, and I, I must tell you that ransomware is such a unique attack. It doesn't need detection, it reveals itself. So just wait for 45 minutes and a screen will pop up on your desktop and say, give me $200,000 if you're lucky. And if you're unlucky, they'll ask you for $2 million or $20 million, right? So that's just, it's just the difference in the, in the amount, but you're gonna get, you're all gonna get the same messages essentially. Um, we need something better. I, Airgap's genesis and the company that I started about two, two and a half years ago, the idea was to fix some of the fundamental flaws that we are carrying around in a corporate environment. And these flaws partially are a result of lack of innovation in the corporate campus. If I, I ask this question to a lot of thinkers out there, a lot of uh, pundits out there and say, look, can you let me know what is the most recognizable innovation that you've seen in the corporate campus in the last two decades? And the answer is none. The only one they saw, the last time they saw an innovation was Wi-Fi. And we know that Wi-Fi has been a game changer innovation. We could walk into the office with laptops and cell phones and Apple watches and stuff like that. You and I both know none of these would have existed if not for Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi has been a game changer technology for all of us. But it's too sad that for the last 21 years, we've not seen anything more. And Airgap is the company that is trying to be the next sort of innovation for the corporate campus, a recognizable innovation. What it does, it solves the security problem, which is namely the ransomware problem, obviously. And it also solves the complexity problem. I think currently the, the way the IT infrastructure is built, you need five PhDs plus more to manage a small network. And clearly small businesses cannot afford that. Even large businesses don't fathom the idea of the entire corporate environment. That is the flaw we have to fix. I know this government is butting in and I know I'm going a little bit off topic, but I want to cover the whole gamut of this thing is, my personal view is government cannot come in and solve the problem. I wish they could, I could, they could, they could solve the diabetes problem. I wish they could solve the weight gain problem just by saying it, it doesn't work that way, right? You have to have proper program. You have to have people working hard on it. And, and ransomware is just one of those things. There is no magic wand, I bet you on that one. People who are looking for a magic wand solution, um, they're gonna be disappointed to hear that there is no one solution that will solve your problem, whether it's air gap or not. The one thing that will solve their problem is fixing the fundamental flaws. And if you let Airgap do that, then you will have a much stronger security posture. Look, you never have, you can never outrun an attacker. I can guarantee you that. You just try to outrun uh, your competitors, basically. It's like the, the bear analogy, right? You don't, I don't have to outrun a bear, I need to outrun you, that's all. So um, this is the same thing for, for enterprises. Airgap has built the technology, one of, the offshoot of simplifying your network and fixing the fundamental flaws is what we call ransomware kill switch. And there are two aspects of kill switch. One is it stops threats from propagating to begin with. And I welcome any of the audience members to, to meet us at airgap.io at blackhat or any, reach out to me at ritesh at airgap.io. I'd be happy to demonstrate and explain how this works step-by-step step in technical terms. But the idea is to fix your flaw so that ransomware does not propagate. And God forbid, if you have a human error or some escape of ransomware, then you have a ransomware kill switch as an ultimate weapon to stop the propagation completely and protect your environment from becoming a headline news. Uh, you may lose one computer or two, but that's something that you can digest compared to entire environment being locked down, your data being exfiltrated, and uh, you being threatened with, uh, with the leak of the data. So that in a nutshell is what AirGap is all about. And that's what I find very interesting is, is granted, okay, full disclosure, you know, Airgap does sponsor this. So thank you so much, Ritesh. But 
it does sound like it makes a lot of sense that if you have the ability, whether it's AirGap or some competitor, but just the type of technology to lock it down at the actual device level. That sounds absolutely attractive, but is this something that, and I, and I know I'm, I'm kind of going off topic as well, but is this something that requires um, a dedicated IT administrator know to turn on, or is it something that once AirGap is already in the, in the environment, it's already working? Does it require you know, a specific resource to, to manage the AirGap solution? A great questions here. Um, look, I am fortunate enough to have brilliant engineers in the team. I'm probably the least smart person in the, in the organization. And I like that. They have built something amazing since the last time we spoke. The new innovation that they have got, um, which is almost magical, at least for me personally, is we offer a 100% SaaS solution. So you don't need to download anything. You don't need to install anything. If you know how to open a free email account like Gmail or Yahoo Mail, then you know how to make AirGap useful or uh, AirGap ransomware kill switch useful. If it will take you about the same time to open a Gmail account as it would take to get onboarded on AirGap. So give it a shot. I mean, look, it takes 10 minutes, then perhaps you'd find that you can protect yourself against the, the most menacing attack of all, which is ransomware. And much like COVID-19, we're all going to get it. Better be vaccinated before you get it. So I would say we'll all be impacted with ransomware. Better have the protection before we get impacted. So Richard, that sounds great. And I know you guys, it wasn't meant to be an ad. I swear I'm going to get yelled at, but... Here's the whole deal. Henia, when you hear something like this, uh, again, with your background, does it sound too good to be true? Is that even possible in this day and age to have a solution that sounds this innovative? And I mean, is it something where, you know, with your background, would you want to try to attack it? Would you want to test it out? Like, what are your thoughts on these types of solutions? And Ritesh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So smile and nod. Higgs, give me your honest uh, answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I completely agree, right? Like there is no magic bullet here. Um, I, I will agree that um, there's definitely every single CISO, including myself, just wishes there was something we could just turn on and our fingers safe. And we're like, yeah, one more thing I don't have to worry about. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, uh, ransomware is a attack vector and there are multiple attack vectors. Uh, and that's that I think is one of the biggest issues uh, with with any solution, right? Um, the only people who know your network are you uh, and the hacker. So if you can stop that uh, uh, information gathering of sorts with things like zero trust, right? Um, all these fundamental things that have came up, we have the MITRE attack, NIST. We have a lot of good innovation out there as far as like frameworks. And I mean, I do agree that the big technological uh, achievement was Wi-Fi. And, Honestly, there hasn't been anything since maybe USB-C, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like nothing is like, oh, I can't live without that. Um, but I, I will have to say that that nine times out of 10, uh, uh, while an application such as AirGap is great in your network, it's good for these isolation solutions and uh, situations and stuff like that. Um, really the frameworks and, and understanding security as a whole and understanding your organizational threat uh, vectors and, and, and your threatscape is really, really as important as the tools. Um, I wish I had an example that was straightforward, but, but, but I've, I've worked with a lot of app, uh, systems and people who have, you know, 30, 40 apps. I got all the coolest apps, right? Top quadrant. We're never right. going to get hacked, uh, but they have two guys running them, right? E even if they checked every single alert, they couldn't keep up. 
So, and and then th that situation, being able to have something like a kill switch, a button where I, could, I as a CISO can just be like, you know what, I can't even trust you guys anymore. If I'm just hitting a button, I'm blocking it off. I got to admit, that's, that's pretty, you know, it is pretty catchy. It sounds like it'd be like a more preemptive, right? If you see something that just looks nefarious, it's like, boop, I'm going to pull, stop you until I can trust you. And then uh, real, real quick, Ritesh, so if it's something like uh, my device looks sketchy and you say, nope, I don't trust Sia, and it just turns out to be a false uh you know false flag if you will could it be turned back on again is that a pain in the wazoo to get that machine back up and running absolutely yeah i think that's the whole idea about the ransomware kill switch what happens today and i've spoken to so many cios and some of your audience may be maybe members of cio CISO community much like uh, so what i have noticed is customers don't take quick action because they're worried worried about the false positive because their action is to shut down the network and this is true for large networkers, large company or small company. A small business, if they shut down the network, they cannot take the PCI transaction. And that's their bread and butter. A large business like a hospital, if they shut down the network, people die. A manufacturing company like Tesla, if they shut down the network, the factory line assembly gets disrupted and it takes weeks to recover it. So for many businesses, shutting down the network is not an option. And as a result, people have watched their house burn down because I cannot shut it down, but I see the ransomware propagating. And AirGaps ransomware kill switch is designed precisely for these kind of environments where you have a surgical response to the ransomware propagation. You can stop only the areas that are being impacted with ransomware or that participate in ransomware propagation while you keep majority of your operations running so that if you are a small business, you don't have to stop taking credit card transaction. That transaction can continue, but perhaps you don't want to be able to print because that's how the ransomware is propagating. It's a downtime I'm willing to accept as opposed to shutting down the entire network. So that's the idea. And because it's surgical, AirGap allows our customers to be aggressive. So even if you have a smallish doubt, you can pull the switch only to know that I can always go back and no harm will happen. No assembly line is shut down, no patients are dying. And so I can be aggressive and being aggressive, aggressive allows you to be more safe or safer rather than, uh, rather than right now you have to cross every i and dot every t before you pull the plug on shutting down the network and sometimes it's too late by the time you take an action right right so okay so let's talk about this because revels attack i guess maybe i'm a little a little confused okay with what had happened previously the other supply chain attack right that we we've discussed and covered many times in the past so can you tell me understand what revels behavior pattern was that was identified and how is that different from you know the previous supply chain attacks? You know, can you help me define and understand why was Revel's behavior different, or how is it caught and noted that it was deeper, that it was more of a nation-state attack than some teenage hacker, you know, emulating previous supply chain attacks? Yeah, I'll let Gignio uh, share his opinion. I'll go follow him. Yeah, well. Well, I mean, I don't think they ever really let out the information exactly how they know. Um, a lot of this stuff does happen in the background uh, and they're not, you know, the when, when you're talking nation states, they're not going to be like, oh, we saw this or we saw that. Uh, they, they may say like, oh, this one particularly has things such as, um, you know, Russia kill switches in it. Um, we've seen Turkish kill switches and stuff like that. Uh, and. and I think in this case, um, and especially like in SolarWinds, right? Uh, the difference here is where SolarWinds actually got into that CI pipeline. Um, and if you think of how, I mean, if you're building an application, you have all these little pieces that you're 
just coming into one big application. One of those get popped. Well, who's who's going to take care of that? Who's letting you know? You know, how do you track that down? Um, so that that's really the big the big takeaway from this is is that that level of expertise and that level of secure uh, um, infiltration doesn't generally happen with the little malware groups. And I, we've seen this before, see, many, many times. These guys, look, there is no one way. There are multiple ways they can come in. And this is so surprising that people have such a short memory. Um, there was about in 2017 or 16, and I could be getting my dates wrong, but there's this software called CCleaner. And many, many people used it on their laptop to speed, improve the speed, it cleans your registry, it cleans your trash file and all those things. And there was a supply chain attack then when the CCleaner was impacted and there was a malware injected into that. And I remember I was working for my previous employer and there was an advisory coming out saying you must uninstall CCleaner because anybody could go download a CCleaner. You know, what happened with SolarWinds is exactly, exactly a copy paste of what happened to CCleaner. Of course, once the attacker gets into your network, then they move in mysterious ways. Sometimes we figure out how they did it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we suspect. Sometimes we project. Sometimes we expect this is how they must have done it. Um, this is the same thing that happened with the, the Cassaria attack as well. I think uh, this remote access solution that the MSPs used or managed services provider used to troubleshoot and support small businesses was the tool that was compromised essentially. And look, these software that we are installing, how many software you have on your phone, how many software applications you have on your computer, I mean, these are it's countless numbers. And I install probably one software a day or a week uh, on my phone and sometimes on my MacBook. And who knows which of them going, is going to get compromised? How can I trust 250 different vendors to do the right thing? I cannot. I, I may try to do the right thing for myself, but how can I expect? Some of these software is even free. Uh, so who doesn't use free software on their laptop? Raise your hand. I <laughs> think there's nobody, like there's nobody. So how, what do you expect from free software? Uh, really sophisticated supply chain protection? No, I don't think so. Uh, so we are all very, very vulnerable. It's extremely, extremely easy to penetrate any organization. Trust me on this one. The only thing you can do is be prepared for the fact that one computer is going to get infected and then start planning ahead from there. My biggest disappointment with the industry, and that's why I started AirGap, is all of the money is being spent on protecting that first victim. And nobody wants to, I don't know for what reason, nobody wants to think what happens after the first victim is infected. And that's where AirGap starts. And my um, plugging AirGap into this, uh, this conversation, which I wanted to keep very technical, is a dollar you spend on AirGap will go much farther because you are now protecting the spread against the spread of the ransomware. Nobody's going to pay 40 million ransom for one computer that is getting infected. But when you have 45,000 computers infected, you better pay 40 million dollars in ransom. Right. And that's the difference. Yeah. And, and I should add also, like this is, you know, this is the the beginning, really, the the revival. Re um, they really started the that well, their earlier systems, right? That was what Pinchy Spider. Uh, they they really started the ransomware as a service. So this is the first time you got like this giant, you know, they got a whole infrastructure. They got their own IT people and they got their service techs. It's not no more, the, it's no longer the, you know, the, the poor guy on this weird uh, uh, island that has an old laptop sitting on a bicycle. These are, these are people that are living it up, you know, and so you're seeing that escalation. And so, and, and again, completely right. Uh, you're seeing a huge where everyone's like, no, if we catch it right when it hits, nothing else will get infected. 
And that that in logic is is true. But what happens when you don't? Right. Yeah. Well, it's really bothering me is I guess maybe as, as an outsider looking in, I know enough to be a dangerous to be aware. But it feels to me that, yeah, so Kaseya got attacked. Right. Solar ones got attacked. Yeah. I might be a client of theirs, but I, I feel like it's like like you. Right. Ritesh, you had mentioned it. Oh, well, that's Kaseya's problem to fix. I don't think there's enough press that is really articulating the fact that, no, 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 it's you. It's you, your network that they're going after. The reason why they're charging that 40 million is because Kaseya knows, or they know that Kaseya's got these assets of these clients that could cost them, you know, $100 million of loss of business. And I don't think we're doing this well enough. So could we, is, are we consolidating our threat intelligence and analytics well enough together. Are we talking about this, you guys, where it's, okay, well, it's Kaseya's problem, not so-and-so's problem. Are we starting to see a shift where we're going to work together uh, more uniformly, knowing that there's a big evil out there? I hope so. Um, going back to the, whose problem it is, I, I think it's a problem for everybody, even if you don't have Kaseya, because it's impacting the entire industry. See, when it impacts the small business, eventually it gets back to all of us as consumers. It gets back to all of us as business people. And it impacts everybody. All, all our jobs get impacted one way or another. Um, I, I, I believe these attackers are not sort of starting to think about how it penetrates and how it floats, even though I think they probably would start to realize that it impacts every everybody when you have a larger attack like, uh, like Kasaya. Uh, coming back to the are we collaborating on threat intelligence and or enough or should we collaborate enough? That has never worked. Uh, I've seen this for 20, 25 years. People have talked about government, private, and, and I don't want to sound cynical, but I've seen this before. So somebody proved me wrong otherwise. In 98, when Bill Clinton was there and he was talking about all this private government partnership for threat intel and shared intel and all, all those things, it doesn't help. And these attacks are very unique, very new. They're, they're trying on the basic vulnerabilities of software ecosystem, network ecosystem, and lack of talent in terms of IT. Our digital footprint is growing faster than our cybersecurity footprint is growing. And that divide, unless we fill that divide or we do something different, this is not going to slow down. This is not going to stop. Any, any amount of collaboration, personally, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, so I'm a cynical person as well. When I hear the uh, private and public sector collaboration, it makes me cringe. Um, and the perfect example, I don't mind saying it, every time I watch Senate hearings talk about cybersecurity, I just want to freaking like throw eggs at my TV screen because the level and lack of knowledge that our political leadership, and I'm not trying to make it political, I'm just simply saying IT and security has accelerated so much to the point where it's okay. I understand why politicians wouldn't fully understand the concepts, but it's the understanding of you need to rely on the experts and trust their expertise in, before we do any level of collaboration, before we do any laws, et cetera. That's my two cents that I'm going to make on this because I do think the ransomware, when you're hitting these $40 million ransoms, it is a big deal and it does need to get addressed because that $40 million that Kaseya or whomever is going to pay out or the what the oil uh, colonial pipeline paid out and whew, you know, it is everybody's problem. It is. 
Yeah, and and we have you know we have InfraGuard um, that was founded I believe 1995, 1996-ish, um, and if you think about it, that's the government trying its best to to feed that threat intelligence. And I think really there there's a couple things there. One is a lot of people don't necessarily understand what threat intelligence is. Um, a lot of times they get data and they take that data and they say, look, this proves this. Um, and that's not really threat intelligence, right? There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more digging. There's a lot more guessing. And that guessing attribution and stuff like that gets really dangerous. Um, and I, I, I agree. Uh, we have done a horrible job uh, from the top down at, at letting the people understand what's going on and how to best handle it. Um, I do feel that they're trying, uh, but no, I think that, that you're spot on when you say it's really up to the individual and the person's network. Uh, take your assets and protect them because, um, you know, it may be just because I'm from Texas, but where I'm from, you, we, don't, we don't get a lot, of, a lot of help from the government. So we're kind of self-taught to, yeah, this is on us. Um, if, you can off, if they offer assistance, great, take it. Um, but sometimes they, it's just not available or it's subpar. Um, we, I, I have had this, the great expertise to, or the great experience of working with um, a CAT team before from the government. Uh, I can say nothing but great things about them. They were really awesome. Uh, they knew their stuff. They were in, they were out, they did their job. But I, don't, I can't necessarily say that's experience with everyone. Now, look, I, I want to add to this very quickly. Government is doing a fine job. I don't mean to blame anybody on that. And public sector is doing a fine job. There are a couple of, they have their own challenges. There are, there are all kinds of compliances. There's all kinds of regulations that kind of slow them down quite a bit. And the second thing is the cybersecurity is such an evolving field that you need lots and lots of expertise in this, which is constantly evolving itself. Um, this is like, you know, can government solve the cancer problem? It's unfair to ask government to solve the cancer problem or HIV problem or anything else. This has got to come from some sort of a private sector. Government can probably fund it, probably encourage it, probably give some tax breaks. That's about all, but they cannot write a prescription for you. Um, and that's, I think, to expect anybody to solve this problem through a magic wand is probably uh, is bound to fail. That expectation is going to get shattered. So I would not keep any hopes for, for a magic wand from a fine government agency that we have. It's just not possible. Wow, this is depressing. I'm kidding. No, it's not. <laughs> you know what this is? You know what this is? And I do want to be respectful of time and wrap this up. But look, it sounds like to me, the first and foremost, we're in a day and age in our uh, technology that we're so 100% dependent from a, just a cultural perspective, society dependency on all IoT devices out there. So all endpoint devices is a vulnerability, whether it's a toaster, which freaks me out, but a toaster, you know, refrigerator, your sprinkler system, for example, right? All the way up into your deep roots of your, you know, data, you know, data center. If we are to be more successful, we it sounds like to you, if I summarize this is you need multiple layers. Uh, for security. We've, we've touted this forever uh, to protect your environment. Just because you have a cloud solution doesn't necessarily mean the vendor that you choose is protecting you well. You still have to set up your own defenses. Uh, it's almost as if to say like, hey, just because I get my mail delivered, I'm just going to keep my doors unlocked and get, you know, let them have my packages and put them in the front door, you know, of the house. Um, does this mean then, guys, and I want to hear from you and I have my own agenda, that now more than ever we need security professionals and folks in the industry to ramp up and accommodate this growing trend of ransomware, uh, ransomware as a service and attacking businesses just for the pure purpose of getting money? Do we need more people in the industry? 
Well, I think absolutely, right? I mean, it, it's just just like with the, and I think this is overlooked. It's not. I think a, a big or sorry, a big problem here is that people are considering that information security is in its own silo. And I think what what really is missing, because I think we have a lot of security professionals. I just think they're doing the wrong things at the wrong times uh, because they're going, you know, they're all over the place and all that. I think if we need really an education of IT, where IT and information security aren't necessarily um, um, outside of each other's silos, right? Like IT ha should have awesome IT experience, but I also believe they should have a, some kind of security uh, understanding there. And I think information security just really their big problem is everybody wants to be a hacker right it's not enough people really want to go do the the not fun stuff that i like i mean the one of the reasons i became a CISO is because i can now say hey i want to look at that log right i want to do a forensics image of that i want to do that um where most people are like no i don't want to do that they're like 13 hours looking at code man. ain't nobody about that life um so I, at one point, yeah, I do believe we need more uh, cybersecurity professionals. On the other hand, I really think we just need to ramp up this, the training of IT to get that secure uh, uh, infrastructure building built in, kind of how we've been pushing secure coding, right? So you have developers with this background in security. Uh, the same thing with, with IT. We need to have secure infrastructure, right, or secure IT. Thank you. Thank you much for that, Higgs. Okay, Ritesh, I know you're the CEO, but uh, what are your thoughts on that, getting cybersecurity professionals or training more people up into, into this industry? And the best way to describe this example is by example. And I, I give you my personal example. In the last probably two years, I bought maybe 20 new gadgets, including a washing machine and, and dishwasher and and few security cameras and a couple of Amazon Alexa Echoes uh, devices and, and Apple Watches and Fitbit. And all, every one of the devices I just mentioned to you are internet connected. Um, how much of extra education my family got on security? So I am increasing my digital footprint, but where is my cyber footprint or cyber knowledge footprint increasing? It's not. And I just gave a simple example because we can all relate to it. You can all sort of go back in your memory lane and say, Oh yeah, I bought the treadmill that was IP connected, or I bought that uh, you know that cool lighting system that was IP connected. But did you educate yourself? How much time did you spend educating yourself on security? And this is exactly what is happening to the IT. The digital footprint is growing. Oh, we didn't have that data digitized. Now that data is digitized. We didn't have that system that was digitized. We were doing this process manually. How cool it is now! We are autom automating it, and it's all digitized. Did you spend enough time either hiring more people? So did you allocate the budget? Probably not. Or did you train your people to be more security aware? Probably not. And, and that is the gap. And we don't, unless we fill that gap, and unfortunately, it's not that that gap is static, it's just increasing. Right. And so again, I don't want to sound like a person who's sounding negative drum here, but I want you to all explain to me otherwise. Am I wrong here? you're adding more and more digitization and less and less security to match with that. And of course you're gonna have problems, why not? Exactly, and that is my point. I wanted to close off our talk today because there are ways to protect ourselves. These attacks, it's Kaseya, it's SolarWinds, it makes the news, it sounds crazy, Colonial Pipeline, right? But they don't make it sound like, no, these attacks happen because you are going to be a target. You will be a target as, you know, we've. I've heard this in many, many other podcasts is it's like COVID. It's like, it's out there, people. You, it, you, to assume that it doesn't exist 
is probably a gamble that, you know, you have to decide if your business can sustain that type of attack or not. Right. And so this discussion today, I do want to emphasize that, yeah, you to have an ability of a technology like an air gap, uh, you know, to have zero trust and a way to kill something right at the device level, there is attractive attractiveness to it. That is your responsibility. Going back to what Higgs is saying, you can't just trust a vendor to be able to assume that they're protecting you. Right. So any last parting thoughts uh, as we close this out, uh, Higgs, uh, we're going to learn more about this whole, you know, attack as it goes on. Ravel is not stopping. I'm curious to see how, how that is going to be implicated politically, but any parting thoughts uh, on this particular topic today? Um, I would just say, just with anything, if you're a CISO or if you're just a low-level IT, and I say low-level, like if this is, say you're a help desk, whatever, take some time, man. Learn, look at the trends. Look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the things that these guys are doing, their TTPs, right? What are they doing? And, and really start to look at your infrastructure. And if you really think um, that you're safe out there and that, oh, no, nah, man, we're a small business. We're not being targeting. My answer is generally the only reason you feel that way is because you don't have the visibility to know that you're being attacked. And that's a whole other podcast. Thanks for the inspiration on that. Ritesh, any parting thoughts, sir? Well, look, stay safe. Uh, be well. If you need help with ransomware, you not you want free assessment, come to us. We'll help you. Um, I promise you no sales pressure. I really and genuinely want to solve the problem for the world. One customer at a time, one business at a time. Try me if you don't trust me. I will I will come to you and I will help you. Only thing I ask in return is, is help me. Uh, help me understand what your problems are so I can build a better solution and keep improving my solution. So, but I wish you all the best. See us at airgap.io, meet us at Black Hat. We're going to be there. We are actually going to do a general availability release of our product and some cool giveaways. Uh, in Las Vegas on August 4th and August 5th. I look forward to meeting all of you. That is awesome. So everyone, thank you much, so much for your time. That wraps it up for another episode of the Ransomware Battleground. Be safe. Thank you. Thank you.